You gotta hear this one song. It'll change your life, I swear. Hello! Hello! I'm Kristen. And I'm Bella. And welcome to the FemCell Filmcast. Today we'll be talking about the 1978 indie horror film Halloween, which is directed and scored by John Carpenter and co-written with producer Deborah Hill. Yeah, we'll be going through a lot of topics today. First, talking about, you know, what makes this a slasher classic, uh, the sex equals death rule and the final girl. We'll talk about the film's development and production, uh, the role of suburbia in slasher films, and the portrayal of mental health and serial killers. Before we get into all that, Bella, what have you been consuming lately? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> We've done this conversation like three times. For a little bit of context, <laughs> we are we're switching things up. We're recording in person yes. to get the chemistry going. Yes, I'm so close yeah. physically to this right now. It's awesome. Yes, but <laughs> with all of this this tension, we've also been trying to use GarageBand, and it's been a bit of a struggle hour. Yeah. So, um, third yes. time is the charm. Third time is the charm, and we got this. So. Yes. So media, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. I started listening to Let Me Ruin Your Life, which Kristen has recommended with Glam Demon, her internet at, but also, I forget her name. Serena Shahidi. Serena Shahidi. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. She's lit as fuck, and she's silly and very girly pop, and it was fun listening to, I just listened to like the most recent of hers. Which is about failing the Bechdel test. <laughs> like the title of it. Yeah. Um, she talked about girl dinner, which, you know, I'm tired of girl dinner. I'll say it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit. It's, it has been. It's been a ride. It's just like how did it? It so quickly became ed related, <laughs> and we yeah. all should have really known better. Literally, never by posting bring up what we're ED. eating online. <laughs> <laughs> So literally, what I eat in a day, mm, and then um, and then gendering it. True. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. This is why we can't have nice things. No, but <laughs> so one day, one day. But still, I enjoyed hearing her thoughts. I've also I listened to a episode of Maintenance Maintenance Phase, which is with Michael Hobbs and I don't remember the co-host Aubrey name. Aubrey Gordon. Yeah, but Michael Hobbs, he. Uh, was also the co-host for a bit on You're Wrong About with Sarah Marshall, which I love. But basically the, the episode that I watched was called Soy Boys. It was about the phenomenon of how did the insult of being a soy boy and then also this fear of consuming estrogen in our food <laughs> in our American diets become kind of a plank in the Republican Party uh, or the Republican Foundation, I guess, to the party. But... Um, Dang. But yeah, so that was really interesting. Is there um, estrogen in soy? There is. This is the this is the misconception. Mm. So I mean, like the it's not estrogen. Like it's called like phytoestrogen, but uh-huh. it's not the estrogen that humans have in their body oh, and produce weird. in their body. So like they sound the same but I'm chemically I think they're very different oh okay so I mean like people think like people have said I've even heard like queer people say this about just like wanting to consume more soy because of the estrogen (laughs) (laughs) hey we can all fall for it okay that's what I'm saying it's just it's a phenomenon and it isn't just you know 
quarantine to the alt-right pipeline. Um, but of course it shows up differently in other parts of society. <laughs> but yeah, but then there's like a lot, of, there was like this men's health article that came out that was talking about how like, you know, talking about this guy who <laughs> drank like three quarts of soy milk a day. Oh. And then he developed breasts. But I don't think it was that related. And then it kind of just got picked up. And then we have that Alex Jones clip of him talking about chemicals turning the frogs gay. Damn. I um, want to force feed him, like, soy milk. Soy milk. I do. Yeah, I want to tie him to a chair. And just, <laughs> just, just that make him very, drink. like, clockwork orange. <laughs> but it is interesting because not only... And they didn't really touch on this in the episode, but milk is also a very like white supremacist symbol <laughs> and a lot of like they're random so obsessed fridge. with milk i don't know what it is okay well actually the history of it is really interesting and they talked about this in main of spades but i also knew this in a class that i took about diet culture Whoa. um that my ta was leading it was really interesting but kind of there was like a lot of quote-unquote scientific findings coming out and i don't know what period of time but it was probably like 1800s and it was these like Western like kind of scientists or writers or philosophers or whatever saying that like Europe was able to be out, I guess like Eastern culture or like take control of that area because they eat meat and drink milk and that the more <laughs> quote unquote effeminate like Eastern citizens don't. They eat rice and shit. Wow. Yeah. That's so, crazy. So there's like the so much history wrapped up in it and how this has become such a pundit in like white supremacist kind of like dog whistles, but also just like <laughs> in the general all right. That's um, so funny. Yeah, um, it's crazy. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm imagining milk as a dog whistle and I'm like, are they just like, they? <laughs> you have an all right, like person who's like screen recording and they just have like they're drinking a tall glass of milk like is that it they're like there was one too where like this the like kind of attaching it to their like um, internet profile so like there's some guy real ass milk drinker like like, (laughs) people on the fringe of these these right you know internet communities will like have like milk as their like profile pictures so okay yeah yeah. i feel like that kind of goes right along with like mm, like the the right wing people being really obsessed with the all meat diet yeah it's like oh we're men let's drink a lot of milk and drink a lot of or eat a lot of steak and then have high risk of heart attacks yeah i can only think of like gaston from like beauty and the beast when he was like when I was a lad, I ate 12 dozen eggs every morning to help me get large. That's I'm like, okay, thing. Jordan Peterson slay. That's another thing. Men eating raw eggs. <laughs> the like, build up slurp. their muscles, I guess. My dad used to die. He would mix raw eggs and orange juice. Oh, and I'd be so mad. I'd be like six, year old, six years old. And I'd be like, that's not giving you muscles. <laughs> Did he just do it because the color was the same? Like, the color matching with the yolk and the orange juice? I, I can't see any other connection. I wouldn't that. know. I really wouldn't know. I'm not... I've grown up with men my whole life, and I still don't understand them. So. Um, boy, um, boy dinner is, like... Boy dinner. <laughs> fucking... <laughs> 
steak stuffed with eggs <laughs> slathered in milk. <laughs> That's awesome. Milk sucked from the teat of a cow. Sorry, Literally. this is getting grosser, but I'm just like... No, I mean, it's, it's, it is just strange. And it's interesting how a lot of structures of white supremacy are wrapped up in structures of masculinity and the need to uphold all of these things to, I don't know... To, to get their gains, Bella. I guess. <laughs> to get their gains. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like, I'm trying to... No, I'm not trying to be with Soy Boy anymore. <laughs> but I was. For a while. You've, because they're not that yeah. funny. <laughs> You've dabbled in Soy Boy. I've dabbled in Soy You've boys. dipped your toe into the Soy Boy I, ocean. I've done my field work. <laughs> I've taken my nose. But yeah. So that's, that's pretty much what I've been consuming. What nice. about you? Kind of also podcasts. Every week, I'm like, I've been listening to podcasts because I just never sit down and watch anything. But anyways, I I listened to the Binge-topia episode about yeah. like rockers and rock stars but, and like their lifestyle and like the glamorization of that lifestyle, but also like the seedy underbelly, which isn't even like an underbelly, just a very obvious like there is a lot of mental strain that mm. comes from performing all the time and not having a home to come back to yeah. or like a, a rest stop. And also just, like, the personality issues and identity issues that come with, you know, being idolized all the time. Yeah. And then returning to isolation at the end of the day. And then going back out and doing it all again. So, yeah, that was interesting to hear about. That is. It's like us if we go on a podcast tour. Yeah, which we is obviously coming with, soon. Which is obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'd have to grapple with a good thing. Good thing it's not happening soon because like that's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of damn pressure. Yeah. I don't know if I can if I can do that. No, yeah, cuz I with adoring screaming fans <laughs> pushing them away with like sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Leave her alone. Yeah, because podcast fans are just so crazy. They're foaming at the mouth. They're groupies. Um, Sign my copy of Ways of Looking. <laughs> Please sign my copy of Dolby. What was her fucking name? Huh? Mulvey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember going to a live, like, one of the live shows that they did in LA, um, Bishopia and like Eliza McLean was talking about how hard it is to travel <laughs> and like how like to take care of yourself and retreat. I don't know, retreat. Yeah, even when I'm going on like a regular trip, like without, you know, touring or anything, I get sick sometimes. So 100%. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure and yeah, we'll get used to it though. We're ready for yeah, the fame. Don't worry, fans. We've been on Raya. We've been off Raya. <laughs> I don't have Raya anymore, guys. Yeah, first of all, <laughs> let me say fuck Raya. This anti-advertisement, ad- anti-marketing. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense as an app. Can I go on a... Yeah, okay, yeah. As an app, <laughs> when you're trying to foster quote-unquote community... An intimate community. An intimate community, because every damn time, you only get... Literally, like, maybe five swipes. And then they're like, you can't swipe anymore. Look at, like, the pool because we're trying to get you to foster intimate community. And it's like, well, no one's answering the damn texts. And on top of that, it's like, there's a barrier to entry. Like, you have to, you know, have that an Instagram, but then you also have to pay a monthly fee. It's like, obviously, the dating pool is going to be so small and so concentrated. Like, how's anyone, like, ever going to really go on a date? And yet, and yet, I have heard of people who found their, like, 
girlfriend or boyfriend on Raya, which is just bananas to me. Maybe the app functions differently when you're a real celebrity. Honestly. <laughs> Maybe things are different. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I guess because <laughs> the app isn't necessarily I... designed for. Because <laughs> what exactly am I offering? Not much, other I've got than like very cute followers. Yeah, yeah. I'm on my way up. I have like half that. I have 800. <laughs> invest in Bella's stock now. Please on invest Raya. <laughs> on Raya, on Substack, True. Twitter. Yeah. Ugh. So don't don't get on Raya unless you're literally like famous, I guess. Yeah, or I like, guess. I don't know, an Instagram model. But even then, it could be hard. It could be hard. I don't know. Or There's just a like, out there. Yeah, just like ask your parents to set you up on some dates like they did in the olden days. <laughs> like enough of the swiping and the matching. I'm just, I'm a little nervous the... at like what my mom, like who my mom would think No, my yeah, type I wouldn't is. want. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want my mom to set me up on a date. But it would be funny. It would, it be, would funny. be funny. I also watched a double feature of totally fucked up and the doom generation i know you guys are totally tired of hearing about gregor rocky <laughs> but uh they had they had that playing at the academy museum That's i think it. in in leading up to they're doing a nowhere tonight the the premiere of nowhere and that's the third issue of the teenage apocalypse trilogy so yeah so it's totally fucked up um doom generation and then nowhere, nowhere. Like yeah all right, so I think it could be a good idea to get into the plot summary now for Halloween. Mm. Yeah. So, beginning with our characters, we have the titular Michael Myers. He is evil. Mm. He's a villain of our story. The, the man on the loose who has escaped from a mental asylum. <laughs> um, <laughs> heavy air quotes. Yeah. Um, and yes, so he he's going to be pursuing the different babysitters throughout Halloween. Then we have his psychiatrist slash therapist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, who's been treating him for what sounds like most of his childhood. Like he says, seven years I took care of him and tried to figure out what was wrong with him, spent seven more years trying to keep him in the yeah. <laughs> asylum. And now he's like, send him to the chair. Yes. To the electric chair. <laughs> So I would not want him as my therapist is no. what I have found. But yes, he he is also relevant. And then there is Laurie Strode. She's our main girl. She's the final girl. She's just your average high school teenager. Uh, she doesn't get out much. She's a hashtag virgin. She's a big bookworm. But her two friends are a lot more outgoing. One of her friends is Annie Brackett. She's the sheriff's daughter and smokes weed. She's like... Crazy stoner. Crazy pothead. <laughs> and then... They Linda... have, like, half a joint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 30 They're like, my dad. <laughs> uh, so, yes, that's one. And then we also have um, Linda Vanderklok, who is Lori's other friend. And she also loves to have fun. They're both... They're all babysitters. Lori's kind of a more serious babysitter. Annie and Linda kind of treat it as, like, this is a way to have sex. Yeah. Get the home alone. Interesting. Have some drinks. Interesting connection. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. They are innovative, to say, yeah, the least. to say the least. But, yeah, those are all of our characters. And so, basically, the story begins on Halloween night in 1963 in the suburban and fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois. So, Michael Myers... He's six years old in a little clown costume. 
And we don't really know it's him yet, but he we see a steady... He's wearing his <laughs> Minecraft pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, you see the eye holes. Um, it's P- killer POV. <laughs> yeah. He's so. wearing some sort of mask. Exactly. So we're going up the stairs with this killer... And then they kill this teenage girl, Judith, and then it's revealed that it was Judith's little brother, six-year-old Michael Myers. And his parents arrive home and see him with the bloody chef's knife and send him to the mental institution where he stays. Yeah. So then flash forward to October 30th, 1978, and... All Hallows Eve. <laughs> yes, we are right right before Halloween. Great timing. And Dr. Samuel Loomis goes to pick up Michael so he can bring him to a court for a hearing. But then, surprise, he has escaped. He, <laughs> he is on the loose. You also see like a bunch of other yeah. people kind of wandering around. Just outside in like pouring rain. I'm not sure why. <laughs> And they, for some reason, decide to keep going. They're, like, seeing yeah. the patients roaming around outside. They're like, let's let's yes. drive to the main gate. I'm liking this vibe. <laughs> so, anyways, they drive up. They stop the car. Michael Myers is on the roof of the car. <laughs> and then Michael, like yeah, kind of beats them up a little bit or scares them. He, like, hops into the car, drives off. And who knows where he's going? Maybe he's going to Vegas. It could be. Certainly not going to his hometown, because that'd be so cliche. Yeah, no. That'd be so cliche and predictable. (laughs) So predictable. But nevertheless. (laughs) (laughs) The next day. (laughs) The next day, they find that a bunch of knives, ropes, and a a mask have been stolen from a hardware store. And they're like, these darn kids. These darn Haddonfield kids. Darn teenagers. You know them and their ropes. But we have our third Mr. Gray on the loose. Oh, God. I mean, he's strong. <laughs> Into knife play. Like. Army Hammer. Uh, but anyway. Army Hammer, <laughs> But Lori is going about her daily life. And she begins to notice this man on Halloween who's kind of following her around in his car. It's quite terrifying. Yeah. He's a masked man. And, <laughs> and he's standing outside, like, the school window across the street, which is actually a shot that appears in a lot of horror films where, mm. like, the kid's in class and yeah. they look out and it's like, there's the killer. Yeah. Um, happens in It Follows. It happens does. in Hereditary. I don't even know. But that, that happens. <laughs> Lori's like, What? But her friends don't really seem that worried. They kind of dismiss her concerns, and they're like, you think a guy's following you? You haven't even had sex. Yeah, you fucking virgin. Yeah, so basically, they're going about their day, and meanwhile, Dr. Loomis arrives in Haddonfield. He's... Acting completely <laughs> useless. Yeah. <laughs> he goes to the the graveyard, and he's like, what? Judith, the sister of... Michael Myers, her tombstone is missing, and he's like, okay, maybe, maybe he might be here, which I feel like, I feel like that's a big, a big clue, I feel like. Oh, yeah, no, because who else would steal Judith Myers' 
tombstone, not her <laughs> son who just escaped from the insane asylum. Yeah, her little bro, or crazy little incestuous bro. It's very, <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it's not his mom, it's his yeah, sister. Yeah, it's his yeah. sister. Um, Freudian slip. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's so unserious because how does someone just all by their lonesome <laughs> steal a damn cement well michael's not just an ordinary man right, he's, he's evil he's, <laughs> he got that dog in him oh my god literally mm-hmm. i mean literally, literally. <laughs> so uh dr loomis meets with annie's father uh, the sheriff and they're investigating michael's old house and they find like this dead dog that's been partially eaten <laughs> And Dr. Loomis begins to go on his first little monologue speech where he's like, he's evil. He's He's, always been evil. There's nothing behind his eyes but pure evil. And so we begin to catch the drift that Michael's low-key evil. That he's low-key evil. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of like wondering that too, like if he was evil or not. Yeah. But I'm glad that we were (laughs) It's hard to do it with the subtext. Yeah, because at first I'm going to be killing people. I'm like, hey, you know, we've all been there. It could be misunderstood. Yeah, but then now that I know that he's evil, I'm like, okay, oh, well, mm-mm, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, that evening, Lori is doing her typical babysitting gig because she has no life. And she's, she's a virgin. <laughs> but she's babysitting the sweet uh, young boy named Tommy Doyle. He's a cutie pie. He gets bullied by yeah. the other boys. They, they're mean to him. They are mean to him. And they tell him the boogeyman's coming. Yeah, they say the boogeyman, the boogeyman, and, and they're just like, yelling at him. Gah! And then he slips <laughs> and falls on his pumpkin. Aww. So sad. But Lori's a good babysitter, so yeah. he's having a better time later that day. Yeah. And then Annie babysits another little girl named Lindsay, and Annie's just right across the street, another big house. So, meanwhile, Michael. Is in the bushes, breathing heavily. <laughs> no, I swear to God, it's the fucking Minecraft. It's the fucking. He just Minecraft has asthma. Bella. <laughs> it's stuffy in that mask. It's stuffy in that mask. So Michael is spying on Annie this whole time and kills the 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 dog of the people she, she's like house sitting for, and so. Later on, Annie is super over the babysitting gig, and she takes Lindsay over to Lori so that she can pick up her boyfriend, Paul, because Paul's grounded, but his parents are gone, so he's like, time to have sex for 60 minutes. Yeah. So... Cool 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Make it snappy, oh, but... Uh, <laughs> straight sex is just so straight to the point. <laughs> Love? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> um, but... So when she gets into the car and he's getting ready to leave, go see her boyfriend, but then boom, Michael is there. Michael's in the back seat and he strangles Literally. her. So <laughs> Yeah, that's it was the very scary. <laughs> That's the theme, the iconic Halloween theme if you couldn't tell. If you don't know it already. Yeah. Virgin. Idiot. Virgin. <laughs> so <laughs> So, anyways, Annie is dead, and <laughs> <laughs> soon after that, Linda and her boyfriend Bob arrive at the Wallace house, and they're kind of weirded out because Annie's gone, but they are also like, hey. They're horny. They're horny, and an empty house is an empty house, so they go upstairs and have sex in the Wallace's bed. 
And so after some sex, Bob goes downstairs to get a beer, a little brewski. And then Michael is also there and comes out and kills him. Mm. Pins him to the wall with a kitchen knife. And then Michael is in silly mode. So he goes up. Calling some trickery. <laughs> he dresses up as a ghost, pretends he's Bob, and <laughs> hangs out in front of Linda and is like, hey. And Linda is kind of like, what's up? But then she calls Lori to figure out what's going on with Annie. And Michael strangles her to death with a phone cord while Lori is listening on the other end. And Lori mainly thinks it's a joke because it also kind of sounds like sex. But... Which but is it's, yeah. also so unserious. Yeah. I, don't, I really don't. <laughs> yeah. It's like a gag, I guess. That like, she sounds like she's moaning. Yeah. But it's like she's dying. She's actually dying. So that's not good. <laughs> she's dead. And so meanwhile, Loomis, once again, being a bit useless, he's kind of wandering around the streets, kind of waiting for Michael to just shimmy on by. I guess. And so then... He finally sees the stolen car that Michael has, so he knows Michael's here. And meanwhile, Lori goes to the Wallace house because she's a little worried about Annie. And she goes upstairs. The house is completely silent. She thinks her friends are playing a trick on her. But then she finds her friends' bodies. Linda is in the bed with the tombstone of Judith (laughs) right above her, very dramatically. And then... Okay, <laughs> Yeah, and then Lori turns around. A bunch of other friends are dead in the house. And then Michael appears and slashes her arm. And this kicks off a long chase. Oh, yeah. So she runs out of the house and goes back to her, her own home, or to the Doyle house, to, to get shelter and to warn the kids and to while she's doing this though i was like so fresh sorry it was like she was banging on her way out of the door she tries to go to the neighbor's house and their lights are on and she's like help me and then they turn the lights off they're like whatever small town people really do be like that yeah they said that's a you problem yeah and so she's not getting any luck she doesn't have her keys but luckily Tommy lets her into the house in the nick of time, and Lori tells the kids, Tommy and Lindsay, to hide, and basically tries to call for help, but the landline's been cut. So at this point, Michael is caught up with them. He sneaks through the window and attacks her, but she stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. Knitting needle. And then she's like, okay, he's dead. Mm. First mistake. (laughs) First mistake. And Lori kind of goes upstairs to check on the children, Little does she know, Michael is not dead. He's low-key indestructible, but she doesn't know that yet. And so he attacks her again, and Lori hides in the bedroom closet. Michael finds her. Lori gets a coat hanger and kind of untangles it and stabs him in the eye with it, Mm. which causes Michael to drop his knife, and then Lori stabs him in the chest with it. Mm. So then she tells the kids to go down the street and call the police. And it's like, okay, well, the neighbors didn't open it before, but I mean... I guess for kids. Yeah, maybe it's different. Not for a virgin, though. <laughs> Not for a teen virgin. Not for a teen virgin. So then Michael rises from the dead once again. <laughs> he cannot be tamed so easily. Mm-hmm. And It's all the evil, I think. <laughs> no, all the it's evil. coursing through his veins. Keeps He's got those alive. evil gains. Mm. Um, and so he approaches Lori and 
starts strangling her. Mm. And this time it's looking like it's super over for Lori. Yeah. Because she didn't see him coming and he's really strong. But then Dr. Loomis bursts in and snatches Michael's mask off, or Lori does, and then he's distracted and Loomis shoots him six times <laughs> and Michael falls off the balcony, knocked mm. away by the force of the bullets. Yeah. And Lori is like, yo, that was the boogeyman. And Loomis is like, yeah, he's evil. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's, he's pretty, pretty evil. evil. He's really evil. And then they both look out the, the side of the balcony, mm. and they see that Michael has vanished. And that's that's how the film ends. Yeah, they're looking out into the night, and they're like, "He's gone." Literally. Yeah. No. You can't mm. see this, but Bella and I are twerking right we now. We are twerking. Yeah. We're just shaking. <laughs> But yeah, that's Halloween. I hope you enjoyed that very unserious commentary, but that's how I internalized the film. So that's my experience. Bella, did you like this film? What did you think? Like, was this your first time seeing it? Many questions. Many questions. And I will give you all the answers (laughs) and more. This was my first time seeing it. I feel like I kind of am only starting to go back and watch the classic horror films after very much being afraid of any sort of movies like that. <laughs> um, so, and I, and this just happens to be a very, like, titular part of the horror genre. So it's cool to go back and see kind of the, seeing how the genre has evolved since then. And then also seeing, like, Jamie Lee Curtis in her, like, first feature film role as Laurie Strode. I think she does a really good job, and it's, she weirdly looks 16 and, like, 40 years old at the same time. (laughs) And she talks like it, too. And she talks like it, too. She has the same, she literally has the same voice as she has right now. So, it's cute. And it's just reminiscent of a lot of the really older films coming before it, like Psycho and and Hitchcock films, none of which that I have seen, but I am, will be a poser enough to pretend like I understand that. <laughs> but yeah, and I really liked the slow burn. I really enjoyed the music and the slow burn, the anticipation of like, why, when is he going to, you know, make his, when is Michael going to make his move? But I don't know. I don't, I think other than that, I wouldn't watch I know they it, they set it up for it to be a sequel and they've done many movies after it, but I just don't think I would ever watch any of the other movies. Yeah, and I don't know how good they are either. I haven't yeah. seen like tons of praise around them. I know they go a lot more into like Michael's past and stuff, but mm. they kind of do box like him into a corner a little bit because mm. like he's imprisoned at six years old. <laughs> like how much trauma can you like get in between? Like I guess you could have a lot, but you know. Yeah. He's already six years old in a clown costume with a knife. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what could have, <laughs> what really went wrong there? Yeah, and operating off the assumption that he is pure evil and born evil, I'm like, I don't really know if they need all the, the traumatic backstory. The backstory. Because, I mean, you're trying to, at that point, you're trying to explain the psyche of a, of a serial killer. And of a tortured like, mind. Tortured <laughs> mind. And you know what? He probably just drank too much soy milk growing up. Literally. He's probably just a soy boy, <laughs> ate a cuck. Yeah. And he's trying to unleash all this sexually 
repressed energy. Okay. <laughs> okay, Freud. That was off the dome, and I don't believe any of that. But it is interesting how he is killing teens, and he was killing his sister after watching them have sex. And it's like, what is this yeah, and kind I... of fascination or emphasis on it? Yeah, I've seen that, like, one of the justifications was just, like, randomly, like, his sister was having sex instead of babysitting him. <laughs> he was feeling neglected. And I'm like, I don't know if, um, uh, I don't know if that covers yeah. it. I feel like, like. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. But, but yeah, he is following the same pattern of, of killing babysitters yeah. who are slightly neglecting the kids true yeah true, that's true what are you, what what were your general thoughts of the movie was it your first time watching it yeah i'd never seen it before yeah. i mean i tried watching it actually like a month ago because i was already interested in doing the horror series so i was mm. like thinking pondering but i i didn't finish it i also watched nightmare on elm street last month and mm. yeah it's been fun kind of revisiting the classics of horror because you watch them and you might feel like for me i felt like maybe slightly disappointed or slightly yeah. kind of like oh that was kind of a, a little bit slow but then yeah. you also have to think that like the horror genre as we like view it didn't really exist yet yeah. and so all this like all these conventions that you might think are tired they're not really tired at all because this is like the first time they were used or yeah. implemented in this way yeah and so yeah i feel like my horror journey started a lot with like watching all the new stuff like the new horror movies yeah. that had come out like hereditary and midsummer but those are like those are like the final iterations yeah. of like a form that's been around for quite a while now so. yeah because those came out within the last few years yeah yeah, yeah so there's a long history of film behind it mm-hmm. and at that point there's a lot of been like they've already subverted all this stuff and now mm-hmm. they're going into even new territory yeah. and breaking out of suburbia and doing different things yeah so I guess, like, I remember when watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was, like, I was not super impressed by it because yeah. I just felt, like, it, it felt a bit clumsy or just, like, half-formed. But mm. I think I'm trying to, like, slowly alter my expectations as I go through because, like, yeah. this was the blueprint. And even so, even in its, like, early form, it's still very entertaining. It is, yeah. Like, Bella and I were still scared. We were huddled up on Bella's couch <laughs> in, in their apartment and kind of, like, oh... Like, with the pillow turned to our chest. Because <laughs> there is a few... I mean... They got me with the suspense. They like, got me with the suspense. Annie's, Annie's whole bit was, yeah. like, walking back and forth. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it, literally, there's... <laughs> I think it's 40 minutes or so until... Into the movie until Michael, like, actually kills. And that is just, like, not, you know, a part of the genre anymore. I feel like a lot of movies now start with a usually a first killing and then you're introduced to the killer. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, can we not be like must we be satiated so quickly? Can we <laughs> I mean they do we do get the death we do get the death is when oh, true. Sick. So they do still have that like little yeah. thing. But like I still do love how long they draw it oh, out. Yes. It's nice. Yeah. It does it yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and honestly, like, I've never been a hater for, like, the horror exposition. Like, as much mm-hmm. as I do love the gore fest at the end, I, I enjoy the setup a lot, I even if people think it's boring. So, yeah, yeah, I guess those are my general thoughts. Yeah. It was fun. I, I would love to talk about what, because so, pe- so many fucking film bros and film <laughs> articles and whatever to talk about this movie as if it's, you know, 
the foundation of horror films and the and a classic horror film. But what would you say makes a classic? Makes a classic horror. That's a good question, and I feel like. <laughs> Even better than me explaining it, I feel like. <laughs> no, no, I'm not gonna popcorn you, Bella. I just mean like the scream. The scream movie kind of lays out pretty yeah. effectively what the rules are in yeah. a very fun parody. Yeah. Um, because like at that point, it, it had been long enough, and there had been enough slashers for them to be self-aware yeah. about it. So, yeah, we should look at you know look at those rules. Yeah, let's look at those rules real quick. So. In Scream, we have it's a it's another slasher in a small town. Honestly, probably also in the East Coast because <laughs> all of these seem to be in the East Coast. And so we have this serial killer on the loose, and one of the characters in the film, whose name is Randy, he is a video store clerk, and he kind of offers most a majority of the meta commentary in the film, at least in the first one. And there's a scene towards the end that's that's used a lot to kind of reiterate these tropes. Um, that we, that either we see or we believe that we see in the horror genre. But, um, so yeah, so there's a scene where there are a bunch of teens at a party and they're watching a horror film and Randy gets up and he's like, no, 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 you guys don't understand. You will not survive a horror movie if you're having sex, if you drink or do drugs. And during this whole spiel, all the depraved little teens are like, boo, let me have sex and do drugs. And then he also says, you will not survive the movie if you say anything close to, I'll be right back, or hello, <laughs> or who's there. Because obviously, yeah. why would they You're just they asking answer? to be murdered. You're asking to be murdered. So that's kind of where I feel like a lot of that kind of, like, I don't know, I guess, perception of horror movies following a formula comes from. And I guess it, it it does kind of follow that in Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Like, if we would go through each of the rules, I guess, like, in terms of you may not survive the movie if you have sex, definitely applies to Halloween in a very big yeah. way. Because specifically, Lori's two friends who do have sex yeah. and, like, are obvious about, like, you know, inviting boys over during babysitting or going to, like going to have a rendezvous (laughs) they end up being killed very shortly after that so yes i think sex equals death in this movie as a rule that applies yeah Um, and we know in because i think we talked about this in our it follows episode because it follows is is you know very inspired by uh John Carpenter and his movies and Halloween especially and deals a lot with like sex literally equals death in that like there's no (laughs) other way around it um but and then like Friday the 13th which kind of came pretty much right after Halloween was like directly you know trying to follow this formula and had this kind of sex equals death thing and the pure final girl in a way that I I don't know I didn't watch Friday the 13th (laughs) but I just know that people were not as impressed in in that (laughs) That re reimagination yeah. of the tropes. I mean, I know a lot of people since then, at least when like movies were coming out and people like more and more movies began to use this mm. rule. I think, like in terms of critical discourse, people were kind of mad about the rule. Like it seemed like a bit misogynistic. Like coming know. from Halloween or coming from uh, just like coming from like like the genre itself. itself like, yeah. As that began to like carve itself out as like this is like you yeah. can't have sex in a horror movie. Is this like a purity thing, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I know like a bunch of people were thinking that the sex equals death rule was pretty misogynistic because a lot of the women would end up getting killed. 
Yeah. But I think... And usually naked. Yeah. And, like, John Carpenter himself kind of has thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, I think John Carpenter, like, he heard the critiques, and I think he had his own kind of opinion mm. on whether sex equals death or not. I think he said... Uh, it has been suggested that I was making some kind of moral statement. Believe me, I'm not. In Halloween, I viewed the characters as simply normal teenagers. And then in another interview, he said the readings of the film as a morality play completely missed the point, and that the one girl who's the most sexually uptight just keeps stabbing the guy with a long knife. She's the most sexually frustrated. She's the one that killed him. Not because she's a virgin, but because all that sexually repressed energy starts coming out. She uses all those phallic symbols on the guy. Interesting. Yeah, so I guess he has his own justification. Yeah, and, and Deborah Hill kind of had a similar, similar... So during this time when they were producing the movie or when they were making the movie, Deborah Hill was a kind of indie filmmaker and her and John Carpenter had started dating. And when they started doing this film, she was kind of like the one who primarily wrote the role of Laurie. And then John Carpenter focused on kind of the role of Michael and the the doctor when deborah was kind of responding to this crit critique because there was a lot of critique coming out after the the film came out about you know kind of having this moral seemingly moral um purview of sex but she says it was never a conscious decision the people who mentioned that in reviews replied their own morality to it i thought they were being ridiculously introspective about a film (laughs) that was meant to have no social statement Dang, 2023 could never. <laughs> Not to be that person of like, wokeism is everywhere. I know, but, like... but it is really interesting <laughs> yeah. that, and I feel like we've seen this a lot with other films kind of coming out during this time, especially in horror, that, you know, there are never deeper meanings to it but it is fun to draw from it because even though it's you know even though they're not making the conscious decision you still have everything that's going on around it kind of guiding the film as we've said before yeah (laughs) they may have like baked their own biases into the movie without like fully recognizing it or we're just allowed to have our own interpretation regardless (laughs) um no but i'm just saying my interpretation is right that's all yes. I'm oh, it just, well, of I'm course. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, thank you. This is the this is our podcast. And yeah. Yeah. We are always right. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the sex equals death rule. I'm not even sure. Like, I would agree with it because I think a lot of what sex sex is in this movie is like a way to get people alone for these scenes. Yeah. Like, it's just a, a good like plot vehicle mm-hmm. for like when are you most likely to get attacked by a killer? Yeah. When you're alone or when you're naked, when you're totally vulnerable <laughs> and not even thinking about danger because you just yeah. had mind blowing sex. Like Yeah. I I don't know. I think I think if we're just looking at teenagers and what they do. I was gonna say <laughs> not me in sex. high school, but <laughs> some of you kids out there. Some of you. Me in high school I was just posting on the Snapchat close friends. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no sex having. I was too busy. I was watching movies in my teal room. My teal Period. pottery barn teal room. I've seen that teal room. It really is teal. It's a palace. My mind palace. Um, polka dot bedspread and everything. But I, I was going to say, like, it, it feels kind of cheap to kind of write the teenage... Because they're saying, like, they were really trying to set this you know, dichotomy between Lori and the and her other friends who end up getting killed. And it was more about, like, just them being preoccupied with other things. And I'm like, I guess it can be sex. 
I don't know. Like, I guess. <laughs> it just feels like... I yeah, know. I mean, Lori also wants to be... Yeah. Like, she wants to do these things. Yeah. It's just like, she's a late bloomer. Yeah. So I don't know if it's making any particular statement yeah. on, like, sex is particularly bad or, like, these teenagers died for their sins yeah. or something like that. And, I mean, going with the other, like, horror movie rules that also happened and also make Halloween, like, a very classic movie. Mm. I mean, they are... The, the teenagers are also drinking and doing they drugs. They are. They're smoking a cig post-sex. Yeah. Getting a brewski. <laughs> a joint. Yeah. Do they say, I'll, re- I'll be right back, and hello, and who's there? I think they say who's there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Annie does when she's wandering around the laundry room. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other things that you can think of that, like, make it... That you've seen in, like, the other horror films. Masked killers, I guess. That's a That's big true. thing. That is a big um, thing. Touching on this, clowns. They're not a huge thing in this movie, but there is, like, a moment of clownery. There's a motif, yeah. Yeah. Of clownery. And that that's also a big deal in the horror genre. It was cool. I also watched the video, like, what makes, like, Halloween, like, the perfect slasher, yeah. or, like, the OG slasher. And I was talking about, like, film techniques and stuff. And yeah. I think... The POV with the killer becomes yeah. like a huge thing. That's that's what starts this movie. Yeah. And I know at another point they also said in the video that like having a lot of wide shots of like dark spaces. Yeah. And like having especially long shots because then it kind of builds suspense. And yeah. I hadn't really noticed that before, but like once I was like revisiting the movie, I was like, there are very long shots where they're just yeah, yeah. walking around the room or going to like sit down with their friend again and. There's a lot of dark spaces in the there. There is. So. Yeah. And it's just like, why? And like, what else? I was kind of, I was interested in how like the trope of like not having the parents anywhere and like specifically having it in this very domestic setting and like why that exists as a trope at all and why Halloween might have like spawned it. And I read this interesting like essay called The Monstrous Years teen slasher films in the family by Mm. pat gill and basically her thesis is kind of like i'm not fully sure if i agree with it but she kind of states that the reason for like the arrival of the teen slasher film has a lot to do with the dissolution of like the the nuclear family Mm. divorce rates are skyrocketing (laughs) mommy and daddy are not watching the kids they are not um, watching the kids (laughs) a lot of the anxieties about like the nuclear family falling apart end up manifesting themselves in the movies Mm. so i have a little quote adolescents in teen slasher films inhabit worlds constructed from these kindred myths the, the myths are, like, all about broken homes and mm. kids from broken homes. Um, and how they're the future damaged. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she continues and she says, um, if the roots of these myths are that stress is introduced into the late 20th century American family by the intensified prevalence of divorce, the result in these films is a world emptied of the family as a resource for coping with growing up. The self-absorbed parents of the films whether divorced or together, provide no useful knowledge, no <laughs> understanding of their children's needs or fears, no viable mo- models for negotiating the world, and certainly no protection from that world. And then dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Homes in these films do not provide a haven from a world gone bad or even a place of safe retreat. The boundaries of these homes are entirely permeable to evil. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's how Michael Myers. That's <laughs> where he that- comes in. Million dollar word. Big evil, old evil guy. 
I kind of like that reading <laughs> of it, though. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't think... Like, in Halloween, I know... Th- uh, I think Deborah Hill and I think maybe also John Carpenter had, like, mentioned... I think it was mostly Deborah Hill wanting to set it in a small town because of this feeling of, like, something lurking underneath the yeah. suburbia of it all. And, like... I mean, which I guess if you're... Because a part of that is the nuclear family... And, like, the sense of a strong family unit <laughs> when it, it is, in fact, isn't there. And maybe there's something sinister about yeah, that. Yeah, it's but. David Lynch's Blue Velvet. It's that shot where they're panning into the grass, zooming closer, mm. and they're under the grass, and suddenly it's the giant patch of worms. I don't know that. It's a favorite movie That's beautiful. Um, but, yes, yes, it's, like, what's going on beneath the surface Michael Myers is hanging up beneath the surface. <laughs> Just being all evil up in there. Yeah. And it's not exactly saying that, like, that society is happening. Or, like, that, like, yeah. that this is a reflection of the world outside. It's more of a reflection of people are nervous. And yeah. what this film is reflecting is their anxiety that children are being left to their own devices. Yeah. They're becoming helpless. They aren't going to be able to be protected from anything. And also in that same vein... Without parental influence, they might, they might go off the deep. <laughs> specifically, more like having sex, drinking, but more specifically Doing crime. being yeah, Michael Myers. Yeah, <laughs> so. which, which that is because it is it does kind of show up in the way that they're trying to explain very you know I guess briefly why his desire to kill and his psyche and how. You know, maybe he grew up in a home that the parents weren't there and the sister was having sex all the time. Like, That's why he wants to kill. No, literally. He yeah. just needs to be nurtured a little bit more. He needs to watch Coco Melon. Yeah, with his mom for and dad real. And Come on. Be okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is an interesting thesis. And, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, he was really just neurodivergent and minor. Like, <laughs> guys. <laughs> Michael is literally just neurodivergent and a minor. <laughs> Betrayed by the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, on that note, we can talk a little bit about the betrayal of mental illness in this movie. <laughs> um, which is, yeah. It is, in which is also apparent in a lot of films following this. And even in, like, in Psycho, they try to kind of explain. Yeah. There's always some sort of relationship with their parents that fucks them up sexually a lot (laughs) of times like they can have some sort of like anxiety about sex and i mean with norman bates specifically spoiler alert spoiler alert for psycho spoiler alert he like they try and explain that like after his abusive mom died Mm -hmm. like he begins dressing up as her and mm-hmm. has a very confused gender identity, which yeah. makes him like twisted and yeah. like evil and psychopathic, which yeah. is pretty offensive. But I, also, yeah, they do try and explain away a lot of his issues. It's and it's that as well in um, Silent of the Lambs. Have you seen that? I have. I have. <sighs> I love that. That's one of my favorite, like one of my favorite <laughs> classics. It is great. Um, but it's a similar thing where the the killer in that is. A, I think like trans woman kind of dealing with and you know like gender dysphoria, I- dysphoria. Yeah. yeah but <laughs> but they use that to explain why they're like killing people yeah they're like if we dig if we look at the root of the evil yeah. it's gayness which is like that's a really odd 
wait to turn. Which I guess for a while and during that time, it was like gain. I don't know when they stopped, like in the DSM, when they stopped kind of under like uh, listing like queerness, queerness as a mental. as a mental illness. Yeah. So it's like it, you know. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like I guess like that, that's where that's coming from like yeah that history of like trying to like understanding sexuality <laughs> like that and wanting to to kind yeah. of and I don't know if it, it it doesn't really imply to any point that Michael Myers is queer but no. but it is kind of implied that he's a rocky relationship with familial components <laughs> and sex I feel like this movie almost kind of subverts that trope because they mm. don't really try and give any explanation True. to why he's evil yeah but th- it is interesting how they kind of like just refer to like you know where where he's been is like ah yeah that's the that's the old asylum that's like <laughs> that's the mental True. asylum and i don't know it's i mean i'm trying not to read too deep into it because at the same time this movie is not trying to say anything. <laughs> but sometimes when not trying to say anything, you do happen to say something. No, you do. Perhaps biases around, like, what you believe that, like, what mental institutions yeah. or inpatient programs are like. Perhaps at the time they were a lot worse, yeah. so. Where, and, like, I guess where I'm coming from, it just feels like really cheap writing yeah. to try to explain things away like that. When you can be way more creative about someone's Definitely. like backstory, without relying on like stereotypes and yeah. things that are just like actually false. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Yeah. It's like, like it's very stigmatizing, yeah. but at the same time, it's also just lazy. <laughs> it is lazy. Like, so there's this guy. So there's this guy, <laughs> and he's evil. And he's evil. <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't know. I think. Horror movies have gotten a bit more creative in terms of where evil comes from. And I feel like I kind of want to talk about, you know, the production of this movie now. Because it it is, which I didn't know that this was technically an independent film. Because John Carpenter got, like, I think, and and Deborah Hill got about, like, $300,000 from whatever producer, Hollywood producer. And they apparently wrote the script in 10 days and shot the whole movie in 20. (laughs) and That's it was, wild. isn't that wild? That's and it was, beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> and it was shot in, it was actually shot in SoCal, which I was like surprised. I was like, also <laughs> surprised because I was like, is that, is that? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it felt so East Coast, like yeah. the neighborhood that they're in. Yeah, I but thought I it was. But I guess it's the magic of filmmaking. Well, first I thought it was Michigan on accident. <laughs> Guys, Detroit is not in Illinois. It is not. It is not. Mm-mm. And I knew that, of course. Yeah. But anyways. Of course. <laughs> Um, but it's supposed to be in Illinois, but apparently it was shot like all around South Pass, which mm-hmm. is wild because that's kind of where I'm from. Uh, and then also Sierra Madre, which is where my grandparents live. Mm. And I'm just wondering how I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe it was just because of the kind of high contrast culture yeah. they put on most of the daytime scenes. Yeah. So yeah, they played there. There was a lot of, as Kristen mentioned, there was a lot of playing with, around with the lighting of it. Daytime was very contrasted versus dark of a lot of shadows and kind of michael peeking out from these like <laughs> i don't know shadowy places yeah. like voids almost in the screen <laughs> and it is quite terrifying because you never really know when he's gonna pop out because there are so many times that you're like oh 
Because I feel like you can, with a lot of horror movies now, there's kind of a beat to when mm. you can expect a jump scare. Yeah. And you just can't really expect that in Halloween. Because there's a lot of times where it feels very like this would be the perfect time for him to appear and he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I appreciate. The, another thing that I really loved too was the, the score. I mean, I played the music already. I just love it so much. <laughs> John Carpenter actually was the person who composed it with two other people kind of over, you know, the course of them filmmaking. And they, it was like very like innovative because <laughs> the technology to be able to synchronize the music to the picture had not been invented yet. So they had to play like kind of the movie and record the music to a click and a stopwatch Whoa. And then so they would be able to match it up with the film later on, like, whatever, like, 35 millimeter stock that they were I at. have no idea. Isn't that I totally thought they would have figured that out by then. Because, no. like, in silent films, they were just play- cranking the music box <laughs> by the side of the theater. So I'm like, okay, well, surely we're a little bit past that. Yeah. But, yeah. It seems kind of like a, like a lag almost because it seems like music, you know, because he's using synths and kind of, like, these these more updated, I guess instruments but still unable to kind of like bring it into film the way that we have now but yeah yeah I I thought that was really interesting and just like how the the main theme of it and it's kind of this like tiktok clock like (laughs) sound yeah and it, it it very much matches with michael's like unrelentless drive to kill like you really, it feels like you cannot outrun the song no, literally you he's like strutting to the yeah, song he is he's power walking down the he's street boging, he's voguing <laughs> yeah yeah i have a little bit more info also about like the development yeah. and stuff like that um in terms of little Easter eggs, because horror loves to do this, uh, <laughs> like they do actually, because Carpenter was like very much inspired by Hitchcock. There's a few moments where he pays homage to to that filmmaker. Two of the characters' names, Tommy Doyle, the little boy, is named after uh, the lieutenant Thomas J. Doyle from Rear Window, and then Doctor Loomis's name is derived from Sam Loomis from Psycho, who's the boyfriend of Marion Crane. Mm who is in real life the mom of Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm not going to draw a diagram for you guys. You're going to have to (laughs) try and puzzle that one out on your own. But it's just like, whoa, this is so cool that the Loomis name is being passed from movie to movie. Yeah, and it it was passed after, I guess, after Sam Loomis. Or no, 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 after Dr. Loomis, it was then Billy Loomis. Scream. Oh, so smart. So smart. Yeah. And that's what's really fun about going to the classics, too, is just finding those little Easter eggs. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, it kind of gets lost when, like, you know, the genre gets saturated with so many movies now. It's like, you don't, it's cool to see kind of how the genre has built upon itself. Yeah. And it's nice when you can tell that, like, a filmmaker has just, like, watched all the horror that's come before them. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, I'm finally and a part of it. And they're out about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the next person does the same. It's neat. Yeah. Um, it is amazing what they got done. Mm. They had a pretty low budget. I think that there was one guy, Tommy Lee Wallace, who they had like do so many different things and on the staff. He was like production designer, mm. art director, location scout, and editor, uh, like co-editor. So it's just people are wearing a lot of hats Multi- on the yeah. set. 
And this is a pretty, this is a basic bitch fact. You can find it on Wikipedia, but the mask worn by Michael Myers was originally a Captain Kirk mask, <laughs> uh, purchased for $1.98. And then all they did was like widen the eye holes and spray paint it, um, <laughs> which is pretty neat. That's funny. Also, for a little bit more info about like the behind the scenes stuff, Jamie Lee Curtis was, uh, does a great job in this movie, mm. but. Apparently they shot the film like totally out of sequence, mm. and they would just like do one scene at one point and one scene at another. That's so low budget. <laughs> and so Carpenter like made this fear meter for Jamie mm. Lee Curtis uh, to like tell her how scared she should be. So like there was a preset like okay at seven amount of fear you should have this expression or mm. this type of scream. Interesting. But the scene we're shooting tonight is like a nine and a half level of fear mm-hmm. so she just gets higher and higher up the fear meter just jumps from scene to scene which uh, is just fun i hadn't really heard of that as like a directing style but that's yeah. that's pretty cool yeah so that kind of wraps up this episode i think one of the final things you want to do is just ask our weekly question mm-hmm. and this time it is what classic horror movie are you mm. what do you strongly identify with or love or feel like you would receive on a BuzzFeed quiz. Mm. I honestly think Scream. I think the Scream for Scream. <laughs> yeah. I like love that franchise. <laughs> and I think the meta commentary in it just makes my film nerd brain just light up so much. <laughs> so awesome. that's probably my... Yeah, you're tripping with irony, much yeah, like the movie. Much like the movie. Awesome. I guess I would say, also just because this is one of my favorite horror films, uh, The Thing... Oh, because I also yeah yes, and I love it. And Mm. he just like he did all the best things with John Carpenter. Like that Mm. movie gets it. Like I feel like there's a few movies where he's still figuring shit out, like The Fog, (laughs) (laughs) which is just a a really silly movie. Yeah, like they're evil pirates. That's that's oh, that's it. I was gonna say what is yeah, like there's the fog, and the fog is quite creepy. And then it's revealed at the end that inside the fog are these like pirate skeletons, and it's like. I was more scared by the fog and, yeah. like, the unknown and yeah. the existentialism that is just cloaking itself over the town. You should have just but kept... pirates. John Carpenter said, you know what, scarier pirates. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I mind. think the thing is awesome. I love just, like, the psychological thriller vibes of the group dynamic and it is the original among us <laughs> not i don't play among us but i know that's kind of what it derives from wait the thing is oh because are they on like a yeah, i don't know I they're on like that. an isolated base okay. in like the arctic or like antarctica yeah. and they're doing like tests and stuff then this like this thing yeah this thing is on the loose Ugh. And they're like, is it you? Is it you? Are you the thing? Yeah. Are you the imposter? Mm. And basically that's where it comes from, I think. Mm. I think Alien also is part of that. But yeah. like, yes, I just love just the tension between all the characters and like that one. That's a fun movie if we're looking at toxic masculinity mm. because like half of what tears them apart is like, I'm the leader. No, <laughs> I'm the leader. Why do you want to be the leader? Are you the thing? And I'm just like, that's so fun. Is it? It's all, all men who yeah, work on the base. Men. Oh, how funny! And it's great, and the aesthetics are awesome because I love I love a horror film with a really unique setting. Yeah. Because I feel like they rely so heavily on setting. And yeah. Atmosphere to make it to make it unique. Yeah. So love that movie, and I also think like I myself am a thing, mm. and I also love the special effects. Gender in that movie. reveal. <laughs> 
but the eels love the special effects. Yeah, the practical yeah. effects are awesome. Just so much goo. Yeah. Like, things explode, and, like, there's goo. And there's mm. a really great shot where, like, someone's chest, like, mm. caves open. It's so, it's, like, as one of my favorite, favorite scenes in, in horror. That's great. And, like, also, I kind of love Nightmare on Elm Street, just because mm. I have weird dreams, and I love the one scene... I'm not gonna spoil it, but there's like a blood bed, mm. a bloody bed, and it's my favorite. Oh, scene. interesting. Yeah. I love that. I think Scream has my favorite like jump scares in it. True. They do really good like setups for that. That is very. <laughs> I would never know. And, <laughs> and the I settings, like ghost it's very like one of. I think that I do like Ghost Ray. <laughs> I think he's kind of a sexy killer. Yeah. Like it's like the mask. Hey and the dress and the robe. <laughs> very sleek. Very sleek. And the phone calls. Like, girl just kick at her bed, kicking her little feet, making her phone calls. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah. 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 So, we love horror. We love horror. <laughs> we love horrors. We do. We love those, too. And um, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. What are you here for?